All right, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we're back. I don't know for how long, but clearly the underground bunker is blocking our uh, cellular service this morning. But anyway, here's the salient verse, Romans 3.1. What, then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. And we're trying, they're asking, on what basis does Paul say, by no means has he been unfaithful? Um, and so he returns to this issue um, later on in Romans, Romans 9. And what we looked at last time was this idea that no, um, God is in absolute um, sovereign control of his mission and his covenant and who is being brought into the covenant. And it's a reminder that salvation is always a result of God's uh, redeeming grace, initiative grace, his sovereign grace. And we left off in Romans 9 talking about that very idea that it's not the um, one who was a Jew outwardly who is um, to be a part of God's people. It's the one who was a Jew inwardly. It's the one who God has circumcised his heart. And we looked at the example of Sarah, right? So Abraham and Sarah, uh, she conceived a son um, in very old age after she was barren. And this was a divine miracle. And we said that what Paul is doing is comparing that birth of, is of Isaac to our birth, our spiritual birth, that it's all a miracle. It's all by his sovereign grace. Now, Paul continues his argument um, in tracing it out in Romans 9, and we want to pick that up where we left off last time, Romans 9, 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, in order for God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I have hated. See, one of the things that they undoubtedly, people originally reading this text would have responded to um, and, and saying, wait a minute, there's no, there's no Israelites here or very few. This must mean the word of God has failed. The promises of God have failed. And Paul says, no. First, you have the situation of Abraham and Sarah. Salvation is all by divine grace. And number two, he introduces us to this idea here of unconditional election. So in other words, he says, before the twins, Jacob and Esau, were born, before they had done anything good or bad, God said the younger will serve the older because Esau, uh, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. Now, when they, those words, loved and hated, those are metaphors for chosen, okay? Meaning, Jacob I chose, but Esau I didn't choose. And this idea that God, um, in his own free will, pleasure, and sovereign grace, has chosen some to be a part of his people and part of his covenant, Paul says, God never fails on those promises. God gets his man. God is sovereign over salvation. Now, this may raise a whole host of questions and issues in our mind. And some have tried to explain this by saying, well, you know, it's because God knew that Jacob was going to be more righteous. That's why he chose Jacob over Esau. 
And of course, if you're familiar at all with the story of Jacob, you know that's ridiculous because Jacob, if it's possible in some ways, was even worse than Esau. Remember, he cheated Esau out of his birthright. He cheated Esau out of his blessing. Jacob, the word really, literally means deceiver. He was lying, a deceiver. He was manipulative. Um, he was shrewd, all of these things. And it was only in the midst of, of Jacob's wretched deceit and treachery to his family members that God appeared, remember this, he showed up um, when, it, when Jacob was on the way out um, to, on the run from Esau that the, the, the stairway to heaven appeared or the platform to heaven. And it was God's way of showing that um, this wasn't a matter of Jacob trying to strive to reach God. This was a matter of God reaching down to save Jacob even when he couldn't save himself. And, and again, it's a picture of salvation for us, right? That salvation is always at God's initiative. Now, one of the things um, people have also responded to by saying is, well, obviously this is not fair. If this is the way God really works, what's, if this is really not fair for him to choose Jacob over Esau, again, we have to ask what does fairness mean in God's economy? When God's economy, fairness in this situation is that both Jacob and Esau would both be condemned. That's what, that would be what was fair. They were both sinners. And in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a picture, a metaphor for all of us, um, all of humanity, that what would be fair to us is not that God would save some. That's what, what's fair to us is that God would destroy all, right? Because the wages of sin is death. None are righteous. No, not even one. And the fact that God chooses to, to save out of their wretched blindness, their spiritual hardness, some should not be a, a cry about fairness. It should be a cry of gratefulness, thankfulness of not why did God save me, but why did God spare anyone? Why, why didn't God destroy me or any of us in our sin? And so what Paul is doing here in Romans 9 is flipping this idea of human fairness around and saying, let me tell you about fairness when it comes to God. Fairness when it comes to God would be nothing unholy in his sight. We should be asking, why has he chosen to save some? And Paul answers this question, right? He says, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So here again, what we see is another picture of salvation. First, it was Sarah conceiving miraculously, birth being given supernaturally, which is how salvation happens. And it happens through the, the sovereign choice election of the father, where both Jacob and Esau and us and everybody else, both all deserved judgment, wrath for our sin. But God in his gracious mercy saves some so that he is honored and glorified both in his justice and in his mercy. So going, how does this all tie back to Romans chapter 3?
injecting Jesus as their Messiah. Paul says we build in a fitness with God's plan has failed, okay? Or God's purposes have failed. God is in absolute control. What a great lesson for us, right? When we look at the circumstances of our life or of the world of our culture, and it seemingly seems that God's purposes have been thwarted, right? That we can take comfort in the fact, and again, we'll get to this later, you know, Romans 8, 28. It's, it's a verse we, we quote oftentimes, but it is so true. It is so appropriate. And we know that for those who Thankfulness for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.